All right. Um, so I'm going to preach a little bit different message than I usually do today. Uh, we have a Bible reading plan that we have been encouraging people to participate in this year. And today I am going to preach uh, three different passages from the Bible reading plan because I think they work together in a way that points us to the wisdom of God and to Jesus Christ. I think they also are a good platform for sharing one of the points of today's sermon, which is that we can really benefit from meeting God in the Bible. And so without further ado, I'm going to read to us from Psalm 15, and the theme today across these readings is wisdom. And so let's look at Psalm 15, verse 1. Who may worship in your sanctuary? Lord, who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people stand firm forever. And so the Old Testament is full of wisdom literature. It's writing about how to live a good life. And this is wisdom literature. And we see here a blessing for the wise. You live in the presence of God, and you are able to stand firm forever. And the rest of the psalm shows us how you can tell who the wise are and how you can tell it is by how they act. They do what is right. They speak the truth. And they don't just speak the truth. They speak the truth that is good. Does anybody know someone who speaks the truth but it's like not that pleasant? Does anybody know people who are like, I'm going to be real mean now because it's true? I like have teenagers in my house, and so it's important to try to help them to figure out when the truth is good and when the truth is just mean, right? How do you look today? Well, fat. Oh, thanks. That's very sweet, <laughs> right? There's all kinds of opportunities. One of the wisest things you can learn to do is when to speak the truth and when to hold your tongue. Figure out the difference between those two things. Now, I've always been a 99th percentile extrovert, and I'm an ADHD kid. And so for about 30 years, if I thought something, I pretty much just said it. How did that go for me? It made me pretty unpopular as a kid, with the kids and the adults and the, and the teachers and everybody. And it led to all kinds of problems as I got older. And then in my 30s, I met a man named Curdy Doshi. He was born in India and raised in Nebraska. He was a friend and coworker at the University of St. Thomas. And we had an incredibly challenging boss together. This boss drove quite a few people to quit a top 10 employer in the state of Minnesota, and eventually both of us too. And I realized something after venting about our boss with him a few times. He never said anything bad about our boss. And the more I interacted with him, the more I realized he never said anything bad about anyone. And we were working in a department with budget cuts where people had a lot of complaints. And anytime I'd see that happen in his presence, he would just watch. And then when there was a silence, he would like change the subject and talk about something else. And I knew he was a Christian. He was a man of faith. And I came to realize that his conviction matches up with what the Bible has to say about gossip which is, to summarize, don't do that, right? 
Don't speak words that harm someone who is not present. Don't talk bad about your friends and about the people you interact with. You impact the world with how you use your words. And the wisdom of God is to make an impact for good rather than for harm or gossip or evil. And so I have been working on this for 20 years. And it has been rewarding work. I have screwed up sometimes. And thankfully, it now bothers my conscience when I do. I realize, wow, I just said something bad about someone who was not present. And I do my best to go apologize to whoever I was talking to. And if it's appropriate, apologize to the person I was speaking about. I am not perfect at this, but I have come a long way from the kid who said anything that popped into his head. And so I'm super grateful for the witness of a friend, but what really catalyzed my ability to get this is how the way he lived matches up with what I had learned from Scripture. Together, those two things were able to penetrate my heart and bring a change. And now I can try to help my kids do better sooner than I did. God knows it's hard with teenagers. Could I get an amen? Yeah, anybody who's been a teenager or who has them, right? The wise also despise flagrant sinners. I'm really glad it doesn't say they despise sinners because that includes me, right? That includes all of us in this room. God knows I'm nowhere near perfect. I find it helpful to consider what a flagrant sinner in the Old Testament looked like Worshippers of idols who sacrificed human beings to those idols, and many of them sacrificed their children. That would be flagrant sinners. We're against that, all right? Like, we would say, no, that's terrible, and we don't want to hang out with people who do that. Kings who oppressed the poor get a lot of bad press in Scripture for good reason. Kingship is not meant to benefit the person in power. It is meant to be service to the people that have been ruled. So flagrant sinners are not worth spending your time with, and they are not worth emulating. I actually had a test for authors we would read in seminary. Did this author have a life that I would want to be associated with? There are some very famous and revered dead theologians who did things like murder their actual friends because they disagreed about doctrine, or own slaves, or publish racist and anti-Semitical writings. I don't want to be like any of those guys. And I'm not super interested in their deep thoughts about how God works, because I don't like how they turned out. I also love the line in this sermon about keeping promises when it hurts. In the most famous sermon in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us, don't make showy promises every time, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so when you're speaking, tell the truth, and when you make a commitment, stick to it. And this is a kind of wisdom that, that uh, tends to make me a cranky old guy, like, get off my lawn, kids, okay? Uh, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And what I often see among the young is, sure, if nothing better comes along. But uh, fortunately, I don't have to blame the younger generation. I remember we did that too when I was young. And so I think this is a kind of integrity that we can actually grow into over time. When we say we're going to do something, what does it say is blessed here? People who keep their promises even when it hurts, right? And so who here has a friend that, like, they say they're going to come to your house, but you know it's only if nothing better comes along? Do you have a friend like that? Those are not the best friends, right? Those are not the people you're going to throw a party for because they might or might not show up, right? And so the Bible is encouraging us here, don't be a friend like that. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Keep your promises even when it costs. 
And so in today's psalm, which you can read on your own during this week, we see words about how to live rightly. And the Bible has a ton of writing about how to live rightly. In the New Testament, the book of James has all kinds of great wisdom for us to put into practice. The whole book of Proverbs is entirely wisdom writing about how to live well. On that note, we're going to transition in today's gospel story. This is a story from the life of Jesus, in this case, from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38. This is a story you may have heard before. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. I totally sympathize with Martha. It's very draining to plan a large party for dinner. She came to Jesus and she said, Look, doesn't it seem unfair to you? My sister just sits here while I do all the work. Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And so this is a well-known story that is usually framed as the importance of listening to Jesus versus being busy. And so can we all agree, if you're going to choose between being busy and listening to the actual Jesus Christ who is with you, which should you choose? Listen to Jesus. Put down the room. You don't need to clean the room. Put down the broom. You don't need to clean the room, right? Listen to Jesus. But uh, this framework actually misses one of the very important elements of the story. In Jewish culture, a rabbi stands when he teaches, and the disciples sit while the rabbi is teaching. And in Christ's time, a female disciple would have been a radical departure from social norms. There are still lots of Jewish settings where Martha would be upset with Mary, not just because she's not helping, but because she's a woman and she doesn't belong there in the first place. And so the obvious message here is true. If Jesus shows up at your house for the love of God, stop cleaning, okay? Unless Jesus tells you to clean something and then you got a different problem, okay? But for the love of God, pay attention to Jesus. Order pizza, right? Today's message is actually about one of the ways you can encounter Jesus, one of the ways you can sit at Jesus' feet. It's through the wisdom of the Bible. It's by reading the actual Bible that we can do what Mary is doing in this story. Hear the words of Jesus Christ for us. What you're doing right now is totally worth your time. It's one of the things that we can do when we come together on church. But one of the less obvious messages for our culture is that Jesus welcomes men and women as equals and does not care about the social conventions of his time. All of us are created equal in the eyes of God. The Apostle Paul puts it this way elsewhere in the Bible. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free. We retain those identities, but as we are in Christ, we are all equal, all loved by God. It doesn't matter your religious background, your gender, your social status. You have value in the eyes of God. And so what is the wisdom of God in our gospel story? Listening to Jesus is better than anything else. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and we are all equal as well in the eyes of God. The wisdom of our psalm is to live rightly. The wisdom of our gospel, listen to Jesus. And I'd like to pray into those two things for us right now. So God, first, I just want to give thanks for the work that you are doing through folks in the Ukraine. 
I give you thanks for pressing in and leading your people to press in in dangerous places where there is war, where there are refugees, where there are bombed homes, where there is unsafety. I thank you for our friend Peter flying over there, and I thank you for Rudy and all the folks that are already there doing your work. And we just pray, God, would you bring an end to the war? Would you save the Ukraine? Would you cause invaders to go home and the killing to cease? We also thank you for your wisdom, God. I thank you that there are those of us here who have begun to learn from not just our mistakes, but from what you have to say. And I pray that you would open our hearts to your scripture, God. Help us to pay attention. Help us to learn without having to screw it up ourselves. I thank you for making us equal, God. We just uh, reject and cast aside any social messages that some people are worth more than you in your eyes. We reject that. Thank you for making us equal in your eyes, God. Help us to listen to you. Amen. This leads us to our epistle passage. That's uh, one of the letters, which are later in the New Testament. And we're going to read from the epistle of Colossians, most likely a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And this is always kind of quoted in poetic form. Uh, it's either a poem or a hymn of the early church. This is Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It is a beautiful one. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. And so he is the first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I love this passage, and it is full of beauty. It starts off by saying that Jesus Christ, who we could physically see 2,022 years ago, is the visible representation of God. Jesus is what God looks like. If God had a body, it would be the body of Jesus Christ. The stuff Jesus did is the stuff God is about. What did Jesus do? He taught, he healed, he followed the Holy Spirit of God in obedience all the way to being put to death undeservedly by human beings. And Jesus was resurrected. This is what the love of God looks like. It is self-sacrificial love that leads to eternal life. That's the God that we worship. That's the God we follow. It's the God we serve. This hymn to Jesus shows us that everything, all of creation we can see and all of creation we can't see, is created through Jesus for Jesus, who actually holds it all together. One of the great questions of science is, why is there even a universe? 
When you look at all the forces that cause the universe to work, they all have these funny constants that have to be like exactly particular or the whole universe explodes. And scientists are always questioning this. Stephen Hawking's best answer is that there are an infinite number of bubble universes and an infinite number of universes which we can never verify or find or test in any way. One of them must be ours. I personally think that's silly. It's certainly an issue of faith, right? Uh, certainly has no evidence, right? other than the fact that we exist. Uh, we as Christians have a different answer. I actually enjoy reading Stephen Hawking. Brilliant man. In some way, what he has to say is more brilliant than I am being right now. That's for dang sure. But we have a different answer for why the universe exists, because Jesus is holding it together right now. That's why. In all things, through all things, for all things. And Jesus is the head of the church, the gathered people of God. We are the physical body of Jesus Christ on this earth. We are the only body that God has on the earth right now. God's plan is us. Is that horrifying or wonderful? Look around, you decide, right? In some ways, that's amazing. In some ways, that's scary. I look in the mirror, and I don't know how God's going to change the world through me, right? But this is the plan, that we would engage in the work of Jesus connected to the Spirit of Christ, that we would teach the Word of God like Jesus did, that we would pray for healing like Jesus did, that we would serve people in need like Jesus did. That's our work because that's what Jesus, the invisible image of God, does. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is supreme over everything. Jesus is first in all things. Jesus is God in God's fullness. And because of Jesus, everything is reconciled to God. This passage says everything is reconciled in Jesus Christ to God. It says all that is created, everything that exists is made right with God because of Jesus. It says God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That is good news because it is not our work that gets us there. It is not doing the right thing that gets us there. Some of us are bad at doing the right thing. I love you, friends, right? So in today's psalm, we see the wisdom of right living. In today's gospel, we see the wisdom of listening to Jesus. And in today's epistle passage from Colossians, we see that Jesus Christ is the incarnate wisdom of God. Jesus is the center and upholder of creation, the beginning of everything being reconciled to God, the peace of God for all things. And so when we read the Bible, we are opening our hearts to spiritual truth that has real application to our daily lives. It can be hard, it can be confusing, it can be difficult to figure out, but in there is the teaching of Jesus Christ. Just three short passages from one day of our daily Bible reading plan shows us the wisdom of right living which so many of us could benefit from. I've always been a person who said, I can't listen to what you're teaching me. I need to figure it out on my own. Is anybody else a I need to make mistakes in order to learn person? Isn't it hard being us, right? Don't you look at people who can learn by listening and think, wow, that looks easier if I could only do that, right? As I have read the Bible, I have started to learn wisdom that I don't need to screw up in order to know. The Bible can be that for you.
Wisdom like the importance of loving our neighbor the way we love ourselves. Wisdom like including people who aren't like us as our neighbors, because that's what the Bible teaches. You can grow in this kind of wisdom through reading the Bible. And we learned from Mary and Martha today, there's only one thing worth being concerned about, that is Jesus. When Jesus shows up, give up the tasks. Listen at the foot of Jesus. Mary discovered that, and Jesus affirmed it. Through Scripture, spoken or taught or read on your own, you can get more of the one thing Jesus says is worth your time and attention. And we've learned today that there is a center to the universe. That is comforting to me. Does the universe ever seem like chaos to you? The Bible says, in the beginning, the waters were formless and void. In the beginning, we had chaos, but the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. And through Christ, creation was spoken into existence. We actually have a center. There is a reason everything exists. There is a reason you exist. There is a reason we can know deep in our souls that everything is reconciled to God. That reason is Jesus. And so you can have security in the reconciliation of God because it is the Word of God. I want to invite the worship team to come back up at this time. I invite you to stand as you are able, and I'm going to share three tips with you for putting the Word of God into practice as we have received it today. Something to read, something to pray, and something to do. Tip number one, read our daily Bible reading plan. If you tried it out and have given up, if you have not tried it out, we have copies available on the wall in the lobby. Uh, Often we have copies inside our program, and I encourage you to read the passages for this week. Um, If you have the River Heights Vineyard app, I don't use this thing much, but for the daily Bible reading plan, it's awesome. I don't know where my app is. You click it, Bible reading plan's right there on the bottom. You can read the Bible along with us. Tip number two, pray and ask God for wisdom. The book of James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, just ask God and he will give it to you because he is a generous giver of good gifts, period. And so if wisdom is how to make choices in your day-to-day life, if you need God's wisdom, ask and God will give it to you. Tip number three is spend some time in worship. When I read this passage from Colossians, I am moved to how great and good and beautiful God is as seen through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to close in worship right now, and I'm going to lead us in prayer as we do. If you're on the prayer ministry team, if you could come up here and be willing to pray for people, I think that would be great. There are three things that I thought we could pray for folks. Number one, if you want to grow in right living, we would love to pray for you. If you're like me and you are better at screwing up than you are at doing the right thing, we would love to pray that God would begin to set you free and that you would have a new way to live. Number two, you need time for Jesus. I know that when I ask uh, all of us to read our Bible reading plans, I know what the problem is. Uh, Netflix or kids or my job or it's time, right? If you know that you want to give more time to Jesus, we would love to pray for that to happen in your life. And lastly, security in Christ. If you still see the universe as chaos, if you still see yourself as maybe not reconciled to God, none of that is true. God has established an order and it is held together by Jesus Christ and you are reconciled by the blood of Christ. We would love to pray that you would not just know that with your head, but that you would experience security in knowing Christ in your heart. And so God, we come together before you as your people. We want to worship you because you are good and amazing. We thank you for giving us wisdom and we pray, God, would you help us to learn from more than our mistakes? Would you help us to learn from your word? 
Would you help us to learn from you? Would you speak words of wisdom to us through scripture, in our hearts, through prayer, through people? Would you make our ears open and attune our hearts to your wisdom so that we could do the right thing? We pray, God, that you would give us time to listen and spend with you. We pray that you would come and visit us. We pray that people here right now would have visions and experiences of your presence. Come to us, Lord. And as we do, we will put down the room, we will give you room, we will give you the room. And we pray, God, that you would make us a people of worship, that we would be a people who give the credit to you for all good things. It's not our awesomeness, it's yours. Be with us as we worship, God. Amen. The prayer team folks would love to pray for you. We're going to worship together in closing, and the team will let us know when the service is over. God bless you.